Good morning. It's Father's Day in America, and for a lot of men, it's a cringeworthy kind of day. Never forget several years ago, a good man in this church said to me, on Father's Day, I guess you're going to beat us up, right? And if you've been in church for years, you know why he said that. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I've never done that on a mother or father's day. In fact, for years, we've just taught what comes next in, in Scripture on those holidays. We've acknowledged them, we've prayed over moms and dads, and we'll do that again today for, for fathers. But we've barely paid any attention to it as a secular holiday. Today I'm dialing the clock back and I'm going to look again at a single verse of Scripture. And I'm a father. I'm a father of a 21 and an 18-year-old, both young men. I'm in a different season of fatherhood. I'm, a, I think, a, a father who has learned humility as I've had the privilege of parenting those two. When you're just getting started, you think it's going to be easy. Have you noticed? Uh, last weekend, I tried to develop a, a new skill or just, well, not even develop. I tried to learn something entirely new. And though I know much better than this, I've actually studied this, and I know the name of the psychological effect that creates this called the Dunning-Kruger effect, I thought I'd be much better at this new thing than I turned out to be. And I think parenting's a lot like that. I mean, you've seen children before. <laughs> you've seen other parents before. It's very evident to you how they're doing it wrong. <laughs> so you're, you know, greatly encouraged to take all the wisdom you've gained through observation and critiquing into the lives of your own children. And then, then a military axiom takes over, and that is simply this, no plan survives contact with the enemy. You've got it all laid out in your mind, and then real life comes knocking, and it just gets very difficult. So I have a single verse for you, dads. And if you're not a dad, that's okay. If you're a parent, mom or dad, this is for you. If you're a grandparent or anyone who has influence in the life of a child, if you're parenting alone, with no help, no partner, this is for you. If you're single and someday hope to be married, if you're a man, this is one of the sacred responsibilities that God will likely entrust to you. If you're a single woman who would like someday to be married to a good man, a man who will fulfill this responsibility is the kind of man you should be looking for. But more than anything else, I want you to hear the clear instruction of God's Word, but covered up soaked through with grace and encouragement. I have absolutely no interest in putting anyone on a guilt trip. If you feel the pain of regret, I pray that God will use that to move you to make amends if it's still possible. And if not, to go to God who is always gracious, always quick to forgive, always willing to welcome and celebrate those who come to Him and recognize how they've done wrong in the past, because candidly, that's all of us. I told you last Sunday, one of the burdens of being a pastor is you know if you have any 
concept of self-awareness, you know that very often you preach better than you live. Because Scripture is clear, God has not left us without guidance. He hasn't left us to guess what He wants from us. And just speaking as a, as a man first and a husband and a father, your fellow Christian, to see many times the standard that God has set, the path He has traced for me, and how, fall, how far short I come of that standard, how far I wander off that path sometimes is very difficult. So if you're a dad and you were afraid you were going to get beat up and you came anyway, congratulations. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're inspired. If you're an older father, I hope you take the years you have left and that God will give you a miracle which He is very capable of doing, of making the last few years far better than all the years that have come before it. If you were separated from your children through any eventuality, whether it's simply one of those sad things of life that is no one's particular fault or it was their sin or yours, I pray that you will be emboldened and you'll behave like a man and you'll go and seek forgiveness. And if they're not willing to grant you forgiveness, that you will express love anyway and that you will wait so that God who does all things well and does things in His time, starting with you, a willing disciple of Jesus, He'll do more than you ask or expect. The good news is, as we look into Scripture this morning, I have a single verse. Our friend Ray Comfort has often noted in Scripture that God has to keep it simple with men. In fact, if you notice how God deals with men in Scripture, He generally calls them by name twice. Have you noticed? Moses, Moses. Any wife or anyone who's paying attention to guys knows that the first and the most important part is to get our attention. I have a single verse, and this is miraculous, but this is the only slide. Isn't that incredible? So you'll need two things. You'll need humble attention to the Word of God, and you'll need a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, please open it. This is the verse, but there will be a few others that will come alongside this one to help us understand our meaning. I'm in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And what is significant about Ephesians chapter 6 is it is being received. This is a letter that Paul wrote to some of the very first Christians in a city that remains to this day as ancient ruins named Ephesus. It's in modern-day Turkey. It is an unlikely place for Jesus to have anyone following Him. It's a city legendary for its idolatry. It's a well-to-do city. It's a desirable place to live. But it is given over to witchcraft and occultism. It's given over to idolatry. It's one of the marvels of the ancient world. It's not as wicked as Corinth, but it's very, very far from God. And Paul was granted of all the places he ever lived and ministered, he was given a very long time to minister to these people. And he loved them, and the letter shows it. For about three chapters, he unpacks in some of the loftiest language in all of the New Testament how privileged they are in Christ, how since they have turned from their idolatry, their witchcraft, their wickedness, and started following Jesus, they are children of God. 
They are united with the Israelites who once received the Scriptures and to whom Jesus was promised that God has torn down the wall of ethnic division that once stood between Jews and Gentiles, and they are, in His language, it's as if they were already seated in heaven in Christ. In other words, that all the promises that God has made to them, though they haven't actually occurred practically, visibly, in actuality in their lives, they're as certain as if they were already in the past. And he tells them famously in Ephesians chapter 2 that they cannot ever be possibly saved by their good works. It is the grace of God alone and their trust in Jesus that has brought them into the family of God. And where good works come in is that now God has given them good works to do. He has fashioned them anew, made them a new creation in Christ, His masterpiece, not to do good works to please God or to draw His attention or to earn His forgiveness, but good works lived out in gratitude as people who shockingly, amazingly, beautifully find themselves as beloved sons and daughters in God's own family. All of this took place, Paul explains, by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In other words, he tells them the good news. He tells them the gospel. And if you're a God-seeker, if you're a Jesus-questioner, that is the central message of this church and any other church that truly presents the faith that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and we fall very short of God's standards and that's why God provided His Son to absorb His righteous indignation, His anger, so that the righteous anger of God would be poured out on His Son who was willing to die in our place so that we could be welcomed as if we were ourselves children of God and that's actually what we become. And He no longer treats us as enemies. He no longer treats us as strangers. He no longer treats us as foreigners. He treats us as His own beloved sons and daughters. And then, as Paul always does in his letter, there's a hinge in the middle of every one of Paul's letters. He lays out the truth first, and then the second half, he tells you what we're going to do about it. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, you'll see he starts thinking under God's direction about the family. Children... Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And there's the connection. You're already in Christ. Those of you who, are, who know the Lord, you are now to obey your parents in the Lord because that is the right thing to do. He continues talking to kids. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And now our verse, it's on the screen. Would you read it with me together? It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You want to know a Bible verse by heart by the time you go home? Read it once or twice more, you'll have it. Read it with me. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead, on the other hand, contrary to that, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, someone will immediately ask a relevant question. Are mothers being ignored here? 
Well, no, look at verse 1. Children, obey your, what's it say? Your parents in the Lord. God assumes that there will be a mother and a father. That's, those are His ideal conditions. That is what is necessary for life to begin. And those children that God has entrusted to that couple have a shared responsibility to follow Jesus and to bring their children up to do the same. Then Paul turns to the children. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that may you, you may live long in the land. News is filled with stories of children of all ages who did not obey their parents and their life ended too soon. There's a promise that comes along with obedience. And then Paul seems to return to where he started. And having available to say the word parents again, he actually zeroes in and uses a single word. He says fathers. And their Greek listeners, as we should this morning, would have understood that if circumstances were such that there wasn't a father in the home, this teaching like the previous verse in verse 1 applied to them as well. In other words, mothers would have taken this to heart, grandparents would have taken this to heart, grandmothers, influencers, aunts and uncles, people in hearing these words and caring for those children, certainly we can imagine would have understood that this applied to them. Why then does Paul zero in and having all these linguistic possibilities say specifically fathers? Because, and I say this as a man and a fellow struggler, the characteristic temptation of men is to step back from our parenting responsibilities. And if you don't believe that, just watch the world. Read the statistics. See what's happening within our culture. Paul, in other words, in this paragraph does not exclude women at all, but he brings men closer and he says, dads, I'm talking to you. Because the great and only difference between a boy and a man is how that person responds to responsibility. That's it. I've met genuinely 17-year-old men and 54-year-old boys. Haven't you? And it's ugly and unbecoming to be middle-aged and still behave like a boy. What marks the difference? Whether that man, that very young man, is willing to embrace responsibility. And dads, here it is. This isn't a guilt trip. This is God's simple instruction to you. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's study the Bible together. What is the responsibility that you're given? In a positive sense, what are you told to do with your children? Talking to the dads now. There's a do and a don't. What are you told to do? To bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Ready? Please don't leave, but here it is. Dads, if you have the privilege of being a dad, not every man does. But if you do, it's your job to train your children to follow Jesus. It's your job. You share that sacred calling with mom, 
You share a holy partnership with the church. But it's your job to train your children to grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is a very broad term, familiar to educators. The Greek word is paideia. It speaks of everything, the whole training program, everything that a child can be taught to do. Instruction means to give that guidance and direction through words, including prohibitions and good advice and encouragement. What dads particularly are supposed to do is train their children to follow Jesus. Why? Because it's a sacred trust. Not everyone is granted that privilege, and it's very mysterious to me and heartbreaking on Mother's and Father's Day why some people who, in my estimation, would make such wonderful moms and dads are not given that privilege, which some want so dearly. It's a mystery why others who are so blessed to be given the heart and the trust of a child so quickly walk away from that responsibility and do harm instead of do good. But let's be clear on the mission. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Children belong to Him. That's the heartbreak of infertility. And if this day is particularly hard for you because of those kinds of issues, honestly, my heart goes out to you. I only bring it up because I know it would have to be on your mind already, and I don't want to deepen the wound or cause you any more grief. But the reason that's a re hard reality in the world is children belong to the Lord. We can manipulate technology almost endlessly at this point in the 21st century, but the gift of life itself belong to God. And if you have that high holy calling, it is because God has entrusted you, Dad, not as an owner, but as a steward for a brief time with part of His heritage, with part of His treasure, which are children. And it is not to be delegated. Please understand this, moms and dads. Your responsibility to parent your children can be shared, and you can be helped, and you can be encouraged, but you should never delegate or much less abdicate your responsibility to obey this simple instruction. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to read a testimony. Please keep Ephesians 6 and go retreat with me back into the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs carries that name because it is wise sayings. And I want you to hear part of the Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Solomon wrote, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, and that's just family life in a couple of lines. I was tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. What he meant was he was her only son. But moms have a very special relationship with their children. And 
for a loving mom, the world around that child sort of disappears because she is so enthralled with this kid. That was his experience. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, look at verse 4, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and what? Live. That's what's on the line. What are you being told here? I was tender. I was the delight of my mother, but my father was also present, and don't miss it, he taught me. And what is characteristic instead is for dad to go to work and hope that everything works out back at home and in school and in church and Sunday school and the youth group and hope that someone else takes up that calling. And we will gladly share it. Your Crosspoint family has been told over and over in Scripture, and we have seen through painful example the importance of us doing our part and sharing your love and your care and helping you in guiding your children, but we can never replace you, Dad. We can't. And if I could just speak very specifically to the dads, when you make it less important than other things in your life to teach your children to follow Jesus, whatever you place ahead of that, and when your kids, particularly your sons, notice that it matters more to your wife than it does to you, you send a quiet message, especially to those boys, that this idea of following Jesus is the domain of women and children, and when they're men, they'll shake it off because they're no longer boys. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Please notice also the outcome is the Lord's. Paul just tells them what to do. He gives them no assurances of how it's going to work out. Please hear that if, you're, if you've done all you can and served and loved and prayed for your children and they're breaking your heart anyway. This is just a simple instruction of what the mission is, what the job is, what sacred calling you are to embrace. I can tell you as the son of a man who taught me to love Jesus, from this day forward, and I've told my dad this this morning, he's in Mexico preaching to a congregation down there, but I said something like this to my father this morning, the good parts of me are because of your example and your love, the bad parts of me are in spite of your teaching and warning, thank you. That's it. If I ever embarrass Jesus and you by doing something truly stupid, please understand my dad had nothing to do with that. He taught me the complete contrary to that. I'll break my heavenly father's heart and my earthly father's heart if I ever go off the rails because my dad kept the mission. And outcomes are not guaranteed. I'm three generations in Christian ministry. I can introduce you to countless families where mom and dad and even grandparents embraced their calling and taught these four kids everything they should have and loved their children. And three of the kids walk with God are honorable people. They're productive and fruitful. They're the kinds of people anyone would enjoy meeting or working with, hiring or marrying. And one of them's a knucklehead. <laughs> what happened there? At a certain point, we all make our own choices. 
At a certain point, the commands of Christ fall on that man, on that woman's shoulders, and she must hear, and she must decide what she is to do, and she chose poorly, foolishly, and it's ruining her life and breaking her parents. But you can't worry so much about outcomes. You have to focus on the task at hand, which is this. Do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, training your children, nurturing your children, correcting your children, teaching by example, by correction, by confrontation, by encouragement, by pleading, by love, and by prayer, everything that is involved in you following Jesus and teaching your kids to do the same, that is your sacred job. Do not miss it or you'll waste your life and hurt theirs. Now, you'll notice the obstacle that stands in the way according to Ephesians 6.4. And one of the many ways I know that this ancient book is actually the very Word of God is because it speaks so timelessly and truthfully about the human condition. What stands in the way according to Ephesians 6.4? What is the temptation that gets in the way of fathers teaching their children to follow Jesus? Anger. You with me, parents? Being a parent and being angry are almost synonymous. (laughs) If you have a couple kids, one might be amazing at any given point in time, so the chances of not being angry are much better. But if there are multiple, you're kind of ticked about something pretty much all of the time. (laughs) That's just the way it is. Can I give you some perspective on that that a pastor gave me years ago? If you're frustrated, it means you're leading. Leaders push against something. If you're not fighting to control your emotions, if you're not fighting off righteous indignation, if you're not really troubled by anything, that means you've walked away from the job. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Men, Men and women, but men in particular, I'll put the emphasis where Paul does. Dads, anger is the enemy. No child has ever been angered into following Jesus. And what sometimes happens, especially on days like this, is some raging battle that starts in the home, carries over into the parking lot, and disappears when you get out of the car at church. We're going to church. I'm tired. We're going to church, and you're going to love God if I have to, you know… Is this familiar? Kids, don't look at your parents. It embarrasses them. And I said no guilt, lots of grace. But that's reality. Anger is the enemy. And let me tell you where that comes from, from reading Scripture and from reflecting on my own heart, which is so often divided in my own walk with Jesus. Anger comes, the wrong kind of anger not self-righteous anger, not holy indignation against the things that would hurt your family and pull them away from God. The wrong kind of anger, selfish anger, or anger that begins correctly but spills over into something toxic and something hurtful to you and to them, comes from one place, feeling entitled instead of privileged. You start treating your wife and your kids like property, you'll ruin them. Fatherhood is a high, holy privilege. 
It is a blessing. It is not earned. You cannot, of your own will, create it. You cannot create those conditions. When I think carefully about the things that have made me angry, with the few exceptions, that that has been righteous indignation, the kind of indignation that makes a man stand up and do something good about something that's bad. That's high and good and holy, and God has that kind of anger. The sin and the wickedness and the oppression and the ruination of the life he made angers him, but he always acts righteously in return to it. That's why the Bible does not say that sin is always sinful. On the contrary, it says, be angry and do not sin. You can be angry and not sin, but have you noticed it's awfully easy to sin when you're angry? And if you do not understand that anger, in terms of training your children to follow Jesus, anger is the enemy that you must master in yourself and not provoke in them, you'll never train them to follow Jesus because you'll give the most inconsistent, hypocritical message imaginable. You'll lace your message about a good God who dies to save people with indignation and anger and insistence and you'll confuse them. Because either God is wrong or you are, and in either case, one of you is, or both of you are not going to be listened to. Why is anger so toxic? Because it ruins everything. It kills gratitude. It deprives you of enjoying anything. It staves off and kills off hope. It's dreadful. And when anger is not resolved, it becomes, in my opinion, something worse, which is bitterness. And the continual sinful tendency of a man, given that high and holy calling, is to feel entitled rather than privileged. Instead of looking at his responsibilities, he begins wrongly to look at his rights. And he becomes a sort of tyrant in the home rather than a servant leader, rather than a leader like Jesus. In simple words, Christian parenting will always remind your children of Christ. You'll love them the way Jesus did. Was Jesus ever angry? Yes, famously, absolutely. Remember the quiet, charming little story of him carefully making a whip to drive out the money changers in the temple? It shows Jesus fashioning what he was going to use to run them off. In other words, this is an explosive This isn't out of control. This isn't Jesus flying off the handle. This is the Son of God, God on earth, preparing calmly to do what is right. But in my worst moments, when I've discouraged my children and broken off a little piece of their heart and made them feel hopeless and made them feel that they are not understood, and because they are not understood, perhaps they are not truly loved, what I've done instead is provoke in them anger. And some of you, men and women, were raised by men and perhaps by mothers as well, but very often fathers that made you feel like nothing you could ever do would please them. And in the confidentiality of pastoral conversations, I've talked to more men than I can count who are top 10% achievers, esteemed, published, standouts sometimes literal heroes, 
who did it all because they resented their father and were trying to please him into their 50s and 60s and show him that he was wrong by the wicked things that man said to them. Be surprised what an angry man can do. And sometimes we praise men for their achievements and fail to see the deep-seated anger that drove them to that achievement. How do you break that cycle? You raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You master the anger that is within you first, and you do your very best to not provoke anger in your own children. How is anger provoked in children? Paul doesn't specify, but all of Scripture gives me some ideas, as does observation of family life. Inconsistency makes children angry. You want to make a kid mean, just be inconsistent. Be loving and indulgent and generous one day and mean and quiet the next. Be kind and encouraging on Monday and be harsh and demanding the day after that. You'll make him angry. I don't care what your kids are telling you. I don't care how hard they're pushing against the boundaries. Your children want structure. They want safety. They want, in a, line, in a world that is rapidly acting to obliterate all lines and all boundaries and make us, from about the age of eight, free agents in a chaotic world where everyone is on their own, they want for you to tell them, to define reality for them, tell them what is true, and keep them lovingly and firmly inside God-ordained, beautiful boundaries that will make them feel safe. Someone who knew something about it told me years ago how dogs were taught to fight, and what they do simply is they're inconsistent with that animal. They feed him one day and starve him the next. They pet him and treat him with some kindness for a little while and then beat him. And that makes the dog dangerous, violent, unpredictable. And we're raising a generation of men and women who are that unpredictable because they have never been made to feel safe. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 17. You'll see a very simple example of what Scripture is telling us. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Proverbs 29, verse 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Did you get that? What is the key to enjoying your children? Disciplining them. And all the kids in church said, Why did we come here? But it's true. Discipline is freedom. You want to have your life constrained and constricted? You want your life to collapse down to something very, very small? Do anything you want, anytime you want. Forsake discipline altogether. You'll only have freedom and you'll only have enjoyment in the areas of your life where you exercise godly discipline. Only there. And that's why Proverbs 29 verse 17 is so specific. Discipline your son and he will give you what? Rest. If you want rest, you discipline your child, not in one angry moment as happened in my extended family, where a man abdicated his responsibilities for about 17 years and tried to catch up in one burst of violence in a single night. What did he do? He ruined his child. 
He put a wedge between them that truly never healed. He set things in motion that later got law enforcement involved. People sometimes ask me if I'm, the, they're polite, but the question is, are you normal and is your family normal? Yes. In fact, so normal that we could, on occasion, staff the Jerry Springer show with guests and absolutely no questions asked. <laughs> there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of disasters and there's a lot of grace of when Jesus comes in and alters a family's direction. And if you think it's too good to be true, if you see good in our family, there's only one reason, because Jesus stepped in changed people from the inside out, made sinners into growing saints, and changed our trajectory so that three generations later, I am blessed to have nothing but good to look back on in my own parents because the hard work, the heartbreaking work, the tears were shed a generation earlier. So you have Proverbs 29 verse 17 says this day-to-day -day instruction, this day-to-day -day direction and guidance and encouragement and celebration and also confrontation, that is discipline, that will give you rest and someday your child will give delight to your heart. I'm starting to learn that and we're not anywhere near done because they're 21 and 18. But one of my boys was struggling the other day, and he said something like, I'm just finding it hard to believe in myself in this little test. And I said, son, I believe in you more than I believe in me. That was one of the most amazing moments ever. To see character in him that I don't always possess. Character that I can admire. Does that make sense to you? That the 48-year-old... Dad looks at his much younger son, a grown, growing man, and finds in the child something worth imitating. That's delight. And I pray it continues because we're not done. I could ruin it in a moment and so could he. But that's happening, and that is the idea behind Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Which of your children should you discipline and correct and train and teach? Only discipline the ones you want to enjoy. <laughs> if your enjoyment of one of the kids is completely indifferent to you, to you just let him do whatever he wants. He'll wear you out. He'll give you no delight. Discipline is freedom. Discipline is the path to enjoyment. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I'll close with this. Men and moms, parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, foster parents and older brothers. Whoever has taken that parenting role, please understand, perfection isn't possible. You've already blown it. So have I. What is required instead of perfection is integrity. What is integrity? Integrity is embracing your responsibility that you will be the chief person, that you will make yourself responsible no matter what anyone else does, whether anyone else encourages you, whether your wife helps or not, 
whether your church is adequate and helpful in the task or not, that you will separate yourself from the ranks of boyhood and step forward as a man and take up this mission to train your children to follow Jesus, that you'll take up that responsibility. And because perfection is already off the table, where you have already blown it and your kids know it, You will do the most courageous thing in the world, and you will go to your younger child, your son or your daughter, and if you have to, get down on the eye level and take a humble physical posture and say, this is what I've done wrong, and I want to tell you, I heard something in church, I read something in Scripture that opened my eyes and hurt my heart, and it made me see the error of my ways, and I'm here to ask for your forgiveness. And they may walk away from you. And you may hear what I heard years ago from someone whose forgiveness I sought. They said, we'll see. And that told me how how deep the hurt went. But what does a man do in that situation? Well, you stand at a crossroads. You can get angry and feel entitled and say something stupid like, well, I've apologized. If that's not good enough for you, I don't know what to do. Or you can humbly say, I created that. And you can say to them, I understand your hurt and your disappointment. I'm asking God to change me. I love you. And you can walk away and leave it there. And then, with the new day that you're given, you can act in faithful love. And you can pray to God for new opportunities. And you can give them discipline and instruction once your credibility starts to rise. That's the first step for integrity for men who've already blown it and they know it. Don't just suddenly show up as super dad. Who in the world are you? Where have you been? I missed you eight years ago. No, start with seeking their forgiveness. If they're willing to give it, and I've heard the most extraordinary stories of full forgiveness and full trust being given two months, six months, two years after that painful conversation when that man, that mom, starts living for God and following Jesus themselves, the child eventually is marveling at all this, and their hopes that were disappointed and shattered at one time are now suddenly coming true. And the man they missed when they were 12 is suddenly before their eyes at the age of 32. And God knits that father's and that boy's heart, that daughter's heart together in something that is so much stronger for all the pain and all the time that was missing in the first place. What are you going to do with all this? You're going to trust the Lord. You're going to have integrity. You're going to say to God and to them, I've blown it, but we're both still breathing. And I still have time. And I'm a different person than I used to be, and I'm going to show it in day-to-day example, and I'm going to love you. And if you never fully forgive me, I'm going to keep loving you. And you work with what you're given because, dads, your job is to train and teach by example your children to follow Jesus. Let's pray. I promised grace, and here it is. If you have the physical health and you had the spiritual will to come to Father's Day, knowing that it might be difficult, 
that is evidence of God's good work in your life so that you can make an investment of love and faithfulness and goodness and kindness and forgiveness and what might have been missing in the past, you can make it now. I'm not hammering down on our failures, men. We're aware of them. I think almost every man, especially the kind of man who would come to church on a Father's Day, is aware of his failures. There is grace and love and a new beginning from your heavenly Father because He's your Father and He loves you. And He wants you, dads, He wants you to remind your children of Him. And the distance between your heavenly Father and your own style of fatherhood that's where we're going to ask forgiveness. That's where we're going to keep short accounts. That's where we're going to promise from this day forward to love, to honor, to trust, to guide, to correct. And we'll just leave it all in the Lord's hands. If you don't know Jesus, the point of this message was not to tell you fully, as well as I could, as well as I'd like to at least, how much He loves you, how Jesus actually died for your sins. But maybe you've heard that before, and maybe this morning has been enough in God's merciful hands to take a simple message and is nudging you toward faith in Christ so that you're turning away from sin and beginning to trust Jesus. If so, call out to Him. He died to save sinners. He died to make us into His sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, Thank you for those who are here for the first time. They've come for probably many different kinds of reasons. Thank you that they are here. May they hear your grace, your love, and your death on the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the moms and dads, single parents going it alone with little or no help, and intact families where the load and the, the joys can be shared. Bless us all, Lord, according to our need. Thank you that you can do that for each one of us. And move in hearts now, Lord, so that people have questions or needs. They would take the card in the bulletin and let us know. Just mark the box or write a few words and let us know what's going on so that we may in your name be able to help them. Thank you for the reunions, Lord. You've brought generations together on this day. May those be sweet. May the men who've blown it as I have be gifted and graced with a holy humility to say in, in at least a few words that they're sorry and they'd like to begin again. They'd like to love better. They'd like to guide more. They'd like to be more faithful. They'd like to be better. Give, Lord, kids and parents on this day an open heart to you and to each other so that you can day by day make us into the families and the individuals that Jesus died to make. Receive this offering, Lord, our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.